Help me out. Um, what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, I had Jesus and I had sex. And I'm not sure how that's going to work out, right? I'm not sure. I've already told you, I'm, I'm, we're already awkward. Like, we're ending the sex series today and starting a series next week on satisfaction, which I don't know. We didn't plan it that way. It's just, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. So, uh, we are talking about sex, okay? And so, so for some of you, this is a milestone, right? Like you never thought you would hear that word out loud in church in the South ever, right? Like that's one of the quiet words. Hey, last night we had, and you know, like we don't say it out loud, but we, for, for four weeks, this will be the fourth week, we've taken a month. We've talked about sex. We've talked, we called it sex ed. Um, just what is God's perspective on sex? Um, and, and for a lot of you, it might be the last time, I don't know that you ever talk about sex in church as well. So I'm going to do this this morning. It's just to kind of recap, okay? If I can just kind of recap what we've learned the first three weeks, I got something really simple to share with you this morning, um, and I think you're going to love it. So here's what we've learned. Week one, and this is really good if, you, if this is your first time here, um, you've missed all these, you're going to learn everything in about five minutes, and you didn't have to sit through all my messages. That's great, isn't it? So week one, we learned that the purpose of sex is intimacy, specifically intimacy in marriage. Um, we saw that God gave us this amazing gift that bonds us physically, emotionally, spiritually to the person that we're with. And he, he thought through it in such detail that he created our bodies. This blew my mind when I read this book. It's a book called, called Hooked. And um, you would love, it's not Christian, it's just scientific. Um, really good book. I learned that God they didn't say God, but we know it's God. Create our bodies in such a way that when we're intimate, when we're sexual with another person, our brains start yelling for chemicals to be released in our bodies. And those chemicals act like super glue, and they bond us to the person that we're being intimate with. Women, it's called oxytocin, and men, it's called vasopressin. So in this, in this blew my mind, right? Because we get like, okay, if you have sex, you're intimate, chemicals, whatever, the whole deal. But it's not just sex. It's intimate touch as well. And so one of the things that they taught us in that book was they said, look, 20 seconds, just 20-second hug is all it takes. And in that 20th second of that embrace, the female brain is going, release the oxytocin. And she bonds with that person. No sex involved. Just a 20-second embrace. And so I told you at the gathering, we will be the home of the 19-second hug, right? The 19-second hug, and that's it. I told you I was going to make t-shirts, and I did. See? The gathering, home of the 19-second hug. Because we're not releasing chemicals before it's time, right? Okay? Um, if you would like one of these shirts, by the way, we have an order for them. You can sign up at the door on the way out. we get you a t-shirt. We won't make any money off of it. It would just be a blast to see people wearing these shirts all around town, right? So that's in week one. That the purpose, of, the purpose of sex is intimacy in marriage. We talked about the fact that like sex is like a fire, and fires are really good in fireplaces, in fire pits, not in the middle of your living room, right? Like just out on the floor, just burning your house down, right? So we want to make sure it's in the right place, intimacy in marriage. Week two. We talked about the problem of sex, and we said the problem of sex is idolatry, which is the word we don't use a lot. What we meant by that was this. In our culture especially, and it has leaked into the church, but in our culture especially what we've done is we have taken the physical part of sex and we have elevated that and we have made that our idol. Everything's about sex. Advertising, media, the way that we judge our relationships, 
Well, I, I want to just experiment a little bit. I wanna, if I'm going to get married, I want to make sure I'm married to somebody who's good in bed. We've elevated sex to such a status that everything rises and falls on it. And that's idolatry. And, and the end result of idolatry is it makes us very selfish. It makes us selfish lovers instead of servant lovers. I know this, this is weird, right? Some of you are like here for the first time like, he has said sex 500 times. He has said lover. It's really weird. And Jesus. But he made us, God created us this way. And so Jesus is the epitome of selflessness. Remember what he said in the Bible? He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And so when we make sex our idol, when we make it all about sex, and this is what we said that second week, when sex becomes the only thing, we end up losing everything. Man, we've seen that. Hadn't you seen that? Maybe not in your own life, but in people that you know. It was all about sex. They made it the only thing, and they lost everything. And then last week, we talked about perversion. Um, and I told you that we're all perverts. And you were like, what? Yeah. We, we talked about uh, big perverts like Pee Wee Herman, uh, Jared Fogle from Subway. Um, uh, we talked about Ted Bundy. And we talked about how we normally we look at the big, the bad people and say, now that's a pervert, right? But what we learned last week is that perversion, by definition, is just a little off. It's a little off. And typically that starts here and ends up way off down the road. Uh, the example that really, I think, resonated with all of us as we talked about the incremental perversion of ourselves and sex is um, years ago here in the area, there was, I mentioned the girl that was shot in the wave pool at Carowinds. And she wasn't shot by somebody at Carowinds. She was shot by a redneck with really bad aim two miles away who was shooting at a target and missed it. And it just missed the target. And that bullet went two miles and killed a girl in the pool. If we're off a little bit here, disaster happens down the road. And that's, that's kind of how we, we pervert sex. Um, we need to examine our lives. We need to practice the daily discipline of following Jesus, staying close to his path. And that allows us to not pervert sex. Now, all that means is that for three weeks, there's been plenty of yuck to go around, right? I mean, most of us have regret in this area. We don't even know really what to do with it. I was thinking about this. Um, when I was in, in high school, I, wasn't, I was going to a church here locally. And in Sunday school, the day after the prom, one of the girls in our Sunday school class, she came walking in and she sat down. Um, I don't mean any disrespect to the, to the women folk in the room, but like she came in a huff. You know what a huff is, right? Like she's, walk, she's in a huff and she sits down <gasps> like that. You know, she's just, I don't know if she did that noise, but whatever. <gasps> you know, she sits down and like you could just tell something was wrong. She wasn't about to cry. It's just all over her face, like something ain't right. And nobody wanted to say anything because she wasn't really popular. So she's kind of an outsider. And so I, because I'm so perfect, <laughs> whatever. So I just said, what's wrong? And she said, I can't believe it happened again. I was like, you can't believe what happened again? She goes, last night, last night after the prom, I lost my virginity again. Okay. Okay. I'm lost. I'm, I'm a little lost here. I don't know if you can do that, right? I don't know if that's po possible. Um, it's, the point here is the last three weeks, everything we've talked about points backwards. And I think as, as, a, as church, as Christians, we don't even know. We don't know what to do with our past. We got one. We try to kind of ignore it. So we don't know what to do with it. And so talking about our past, it, it, it leads to shame. It leads to regret. It might lead to anger. And in her situation, it led to confusion, for sure. But what I want you to walk out of here with today is just one emotion. I want you to walk out with hope. And, and there's one reason, only one reason, that we can experience hope. 
in our sexuality, and it's the cross. Um, we're going to be in one scripture passage today. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Um, I just got two points, two videos. You're going to love the videos more than the points, but hang with me through the points. The videos will make it all clear, and um, then we'll, we'll get out of here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. I'm just going to read verses 9 and 10 first, and then we'll, we'll talk through it. Um, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Um, Let me just say this right off the top. top, I love the way Paul writes. Because Paul has this way of kind of trying to suck us in a little bit in the way he's writing. But he talks about people at the beginning that we don't necessarily relate to. Like when I read male prostitutes, I'm thinking all of us were like, I'm good. Right? I'm good. Check. I'm not prostituting this body. I couldn't get somebody to pay for this body, right? It's not going to happen, right? So I'm, I'm good. But then Paul, and he does this. If you, like, you read the New Testament, you'll find lists that Paul gives. It seems like he always starts with the big. And we're like, I don't know if I relate to that. But he always ends with, like how many of you, don't raise your hand, but I read greedy and you were like, oh, snap. Why did he have to put that in there? Because I was just saying on the way in here, I wish I had more money, right? Crap. Um, Slanderers. Oh, did I say that the other day about that person? Right? Like Paul has this way of at the end of his list, all of us are kind of going like, I don't know which one was yours, but we're all in here somewhere. And that's what Paul does here. And and what I want you to get out of this is, is that our past is real. We don't know what to do with our past, but it's real, isn't it? Our past is real. Um, we, we've got like this list of stuff. And what I love about the Bible is this is when I know that the Bible is from God. If you ever ask um, or study, like, how can we trust the Bible? Is the Bible authentic? You'll hear like people with really like lots of letters after the end of their name. They'll say stuff like, well, you know, if you look at the Bible as a book and if you do all the textual studies and you'll find this and that and all that's good. It's really important. But you know what I get out of this? How I know the Bible comes from God. It comes from God because he puts the bad stuff in it too. Because I know this about me and I bet it's true about you. If you were asked to write a story of your life that would be passed down from generation to generation to generation for all the world to read about you, you're not putting your bad stuff in it. But God did. He's not hiding it. We don't know what to do with our past, but God does. He talks about it. He says, hey, here's, here's your past. It's, it's right here. You were all these things. I love that about God. This is such a big deal that we don't miss this, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote those words, do not be deceived. It's like, don't think for a moment that you just need a little bit of help to get better you seen a little bit of counseling. He said, no, no, you weren't, you, you, were, you were a sinner. That's, that's what you were. Paul makes it clear we were sinners who would never inherit the kingdom because of our sin. And here's why some of us ignore our past. Because we've allowed Satan to convince us that our identity comes from our activity. Have you fallen for that lie yet? I'm a bad person because I do bad things. And then the flip side is just as dangerous, and it's usually in the church. I'm a good person because I do good things. 
We've talked about this before, that the church perception is that there are bad people and there are good people. But Paul says, no, there are sinners doing sinful things. That's who we are. So let me encourage you with this. Don't ever leave the mess out of your message. Don't ever leave the mess out of your message. You're, you're, the good news of the gospel is good news because there's bad news that comes before it. It's the bad news that makes the good news so great. So don't ever leave the mess out of your message. Paul doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. And here's why. Because God knows this. The minute we forget who we were is the minute that we start to forget who we are. I don't know if anybody comes to mind, um, like famous people, people that they're like, you know, just normal people, they get famous. And then the people that know them are like, dude, they've changed. They've changed. They're not the people that they were. And so many times, like, they'll come into a lot of money. They'll lose all the money. They'll, they'll turn into just total snots and never have anything to do with anybody that they knew. And the people say, like, they just forgot where they came from. Have you ever heard that? They just forgot the roots. But the people that can go on to do great things and they stay grounded is because they remember where they came from. And what Paul's saying here is, like, don't forget where you came from. This is, this is true of your life. And, man, the last three weeks, how many of you right now can say, yeah, I mean, like, I thought I could just say I wasn't sexually immoral, but hello. I'm like, didn't even get past the first one. Like, I'm thinking about all the stuff in my past, all the ways I just messed this thing up, all the ways that I was sexually immoral, maybe the ways I'm sexually immoral right now. And Paul didn't, he doesn't shy away from that. He doesn't hide it. So our, our, our past is real, but I love verse 11. Our past may be real, but our future is bright. Check out verse 11. Paul said this, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So like, in the NIV, that's eight words. Maybe the best eight words in the Bible. And that is what some of you were. Everybody say were. So you know, you know, you know what's true about your past? It's past. It's, it's over. Finished. It's, it's gone. Satan, he wants, to, he wants you to get your identity from your activity. But what we're going to see in verse 11 is that Jesus wants you to get your identity from his activity. We're not defined by what we do. We're defined by what Jesus did for us. And what did he do for us? I love it. Verse 11, it says that you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified. I've said this a bunch of times. There are big buts in the Bible. And I love it. And there's three huge butts. And now you've got the English translation, so you're only seeing one but. But there's three butts in here. Okay? And they're huge. They're huge. So it says, but you were washed. And then in the Greek it says, but you were sanctified. And then in the Greek it says, but you were justified. And, and the reason that he has three butts in a row is because he's building how important it is. Man. I like big butts. I cannot lie. Right? It's right there in the Bible. So here's what it means. What has Jesus done for us? What has his work on the cross done for us? It has washed us. It's made us clean. Because I know like wash, sanctify, justify. We're like church words. I don't know what it means. Here's what it means. It means that you're clean. You ever been to the beach and gotten sand all over you? Like no matter how, and you don't want to scrub, right? You try to get up and like your scrubs, ouch, that hurts. Like how do you get rid of sand? It's just everywhere, Right? 
Like you come home, like you, you know, like you like pull out like, you know, some clothes you never even wore at the beach and sand just comes out. It's not sand gets into everything at the beach. Have you ever felt like you just couldn't get clean? I, I love how it says he cleans us. He gets rid of the dirt on us. And it says he, he makes us holy. He gets rid of the distance between us. And it says that he makes us justified. He gets rid of the dishonor around us. And what I love about this, the dirt on us, the distance between us and the dishonor around us, is these are all the things that we struggle with when we think about our sexual past. I just can't get clean. When we think about our sexual sin, we think about sexual sins done to us. I just can't get clean. I, I can't stop thinking about him, her. I can't get rid of it. If I scrub the thousand times, I can't get clean. And you can't get clean, but I love it. But he has made us clean. We were washed. He gets rid of the dirt on us. He gets rid of the distance between us. He sanctifies us. You know, um, and we'll talk about this at the end of the service, but the greatest weapon that Satan has against you and I in the area of sexuality is to convince us if they only knew. If they only knew what I'd done, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And he isolates us from everybody else. And what I love about this, he makes us holy. He, he gets rid of the distance between us and God. He sanctifies us. He pulls us in close. And while he's pulling me in close with all my junk, he's pulling you in close with all your junk, and me and you are next to each other with all our junk. And he's like, I love this because you're family. That's what he does. He gets rid of the distance between us. And then he makes us right. He makes us justified. He gets rid of the dishonor. When I think of justified, like what, what would be the opposite of justified? The opposite of justified is, is shame, isn't it? Like I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I've made wrong choices. I'm, I'm, I'm standing in a court looking at a judge and he's talking and all I'm thinking is, how did I get here? And the end result of that is a dropped head. And we said this in week one, that shame makes us drop our heads. But the Bible says that God is the lifter of our head. This is where he does it. He justifies us. He says, I'll pay the fine. And you'll be just in front of me. Justification. I love people say justification. What is it? It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And when we really understand the power of what he did on the cross, don't you start to see there's hope? And we start to see that like, what we've been doing, maybe we're going to do something different now. That's why Paul, he, he goes on after verse 11 and he talks about the next nine verses, 12 through 20. He starts, and I'm not going to preach for him, I'm just pointing out it's there. He says, because of all this, because you've been washed, because you've been sanctified, because you've been justified, because you have a new identity, here's how you should live in the area of sexuality. And we've already taught from all that stuff. And the bottom line at the end of that, verse 20, he says, therefore, honor God with your body. Why? Because 
We're valuable. We're bought with a great price. The purchase price is what sets the value of what's bought. And verse 20 says that we were bought at a price. The price was the blood of Jesus. It cost God everything to redeem you and me. And we can go, some of us get prideful. I'm worth every penny. <laughs> uh-uh. No, 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 no. I'm the opposite, right? I look in the mirror and go, dude, I ripped Jesus off, <laughs> right? <laughs> Man, sometimes we just don't feel like we're worth it. But it doesn't matter if you feel like you're worth it, right? What matters is he paid it. Because he paid it, you're valuable. That's just one example of your new identity. Your old identity was worthless. Your new identity is valuable. Here's three other ways that your, your identity has changed. Romans 6, 6. We sang about this last week. We sang no longer a slave. It means that you're not a slave to sin. You're now free as a son or a daughter. You're no longer a slave and now you're free. Once you were a slave, now you're free. Romans 15, 7. says that you've been accepted by God. Now think about all the money that we spend on makeup, books, exercise equipment that we don't use, counselors, all the money that we spend, and I'm, some of us need to spend it, I'm not saying we shouldn't, but all that we spend to try to be accepted by man. And that says we're accepted by the only one that matters. It's our identity. Our old identity was not accepted. Now our identity, we're accepted by God. John 1.12 is that you and I are children of God. There are verses in Ephesians chapter 2 that say that our old identity is that we were orphans without a hope, without a family. And our new identity is that we are in the family of God. You and I have the right to be a child of God. And we can't afford to lose that. We can't afford to lose our identity, who we are. Let me give you um, the big idea Make a couple statements and then we'll watch one more video and be done. The cross means your past is never more powerful than your future. When I watch that clip, I think in the area of sexuality, and I don't mean this in a shameful way, just hear what I'm saying, okay? I think God looks at his church and says, you're more than what you've become. I think he says, remember who you are. And I think what he's calling us to do is not learn something new, but remember who we are. I love at the end, where are you going? I'm going back. Maybe it's time that we, we go back and do this differently. Is it possible that from this moment forward, our identity, our new identity could lead to new activity? I think it should. I think that God says you're more than what you've become. Jesus' activity changes our identity, which in turn changes our activity. God's valuing us leads to us honoring God. Will the enemy try to bring us down? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. And this is an old saying. Maybe you've never heard it, but I didn't make it up. But I love it because it's so true. I love this saying. When Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. I love that, right? It's like, oh, snap, I got a word for the devil, right? It's good stuff. 
Remember that the future, your future has been secured by the cross. If you're in Christ, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, not attend church, you know, if you've chosen to follow Jesus, if you've chosen to hinge your entire eternal existence on what he did at the cross, you're not the same person you were. You're not the same person who did all that you did. Your past will never be more powerful than your future. Never. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that Christ didn't die on the cross to make us better. He died on the cross to make us live. We were dead. And if we are living now, new creations, then the old is gone and new has come. All those regrets we have about the past are in the past. But Jesus on the cross secured a new identity so that we could make different choices going forward. If you just close your eyes, just to give margin to one another, just to think through how we close this this morning. I love a, a quote I heard from Mark Driscoll. Um, a lady told him this at his church. She said, my past may explain me, but it does not define me. So I know there's two groups of people in the room this morning as we wrap up this series on sex. Um, some of you are here and, look, you don't have an identity as God's children. You're not following Jesus. Without a doubt, the invitation to you is available. We'd love to pray with you and, and help you make steps to walk with Jesus. What it means to be saved it means simply this, that we're not trusting in our own actions to save us, but we, we recognize that our actions, even the best of our actions, lead to death, and our only hope is in what Jesus did on the cross, and that's what it means to be saved. If you've not done that this morning, we'd love to pray with you. There's another group of people here that I really want to pray with this morning, and that is you're, you're a Christian. You are following Jesus. You're a child of God. And man, this entire series has been hard for you because you have been so full of shame and regret, just all the stuff in the past. And this morning as I've been teaching on this and talk about new identity and what God did at the cross and how the cross means that your, your past is never more powerful than your future, man, something inside of you is just like, this is for me. This is what I've been needing to hear. Because I want to say goodbye to that. And I want to say hello to a new future. I want to live like the identity that I have. So I'm just going to ask you if that's you this morning. We're going to close in prayer. I just want you just to raise your hand and say, that's, that's me. Thank you. All over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Now I'm going to ask you to do something for me, okay? You don't have to, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to. I told you earlier, the, the only real weapon that Satan has in this arena is isolation. He just has this way of whispering, if they only knew. He tries to pull us aside and separate us so he just gets us on our own. And, and I don't want to end this series like that. So I'm going to ask you, if you raise your hand, and you will not be alone because there were a ton of hands that went up. If you raise your hand, I'm just going to ask you if you'd be willing to stand where you are. Because in just a moment, you're not going to be standing alone. And that's how we're going to end this series is standing with one another and thanking God for the forgiveness that comes in Christ and thanking Him for what He did at the cross. 
thank you for being brave. If you're here from the gathering, hey guys, this is when you get to be the church, right? This is when we need more than a pastor. Because I'm going to ask you in just a moment, you're in this room, you love Jesus, I'm going to ask you to go put your hand on the shoulder of somebody who's standing right now. Because the last thing we do is stand alone when we come before God. And just put your hand on our shoulder and we're going to pray. We're going to wrap this series up praying that God would wash the dirt from you. That He would sanctify you. That He would justify. And and listen, I'm not going to pray that you feel it because you may or may not. I'm going to pray that you walk out of here with your head held high going, man, it's true because God said it. Whether I feel it or not, it's true because God said it. Whether my mistakes were years ago or last night, it's true because God said it. So Lord, we just pray right now for these that are, have stood. God, we put our hands on them. We just, we, this is the body of Christ, God. And these are our brothers and our sisters. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that This is something that's unique to the family of God. People that are are not following Jesus, they don't know this kind of community. When broken, redeemed sinners come and put their hand on another broken, redeemed sinner and point them back to the Redeemer. So right now, God, we just pray for the person whose shoulder we've got our hand on. We ask that you would fill them, God, with confidence in you. We ask that you would fill their mind with thoughts of what you have done on the cross. I pray that your activity on the cross would forever change their identity. And that going forward, God, they would find themselves making different choices, better choices, not because they've become a better person, but because you have raised them to life. And their old man is gone. He's dead. Their old person, gone. They're a new creation, and the new has come, and they're walking out of here brand new, brand new identity. And God, we just want to say thank you for new beginnings. Thank you that you are a God of second and third and fourth and a bazillion chances. And we wreck that up all the time, God. I'm so thankful that we can never out your grace. And Satan can never condemn us where you have forgiven us and set us free. So I pray, I just pray freedom over these, God. I pray joy. I pray that maybe for the first time in a long time in this area of our lives where we tend to keep a lot of secrets, they would find the freedom of just exhaling and knowing I'm accepted by God because of Jesus. And we, God, give you all of the glory for that because we had nothing to bring to the party with our salvation. Thank you for the work on the cross and that that work fills us with hope. In your name, Jesus. Amen.